So here we're following a tradition that is called uh, devotional service or sometimes bhakti yoga. So it's a, a way to connect ourselves to the Supreme as we're parts of the Supreme and when we're in connection that's called yoga. Yoga actually means to connect. Have you heard the word yoga before? So yoga comes from a root word which is huge and huge means to connect. It's cognate in English with the word yoke, when you, like yoke two oxen together. And one of the direct ways to be connected to the Supreme is through sound vibration. Because there's sound vibration in this world, as we could just experience coming through the door. And, and in fact, we, thank you. We may or may not know that there's sound that comes from within us also. And recently, in some research I was doing, I read about a studio in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Where are you from? Okay. <laughs> That's good, because Minnesota is really cold right now. And there they have a studio where they, they means the purveyors of the company, do recording, recording artists come there. But next to it, they built a studio which is a soundless studio. It means there's no sound inside. Sound is measure, measured in decibels. And for instance, I could look at my watch with the right app and it would tell me how many decibels there are coming at me right now. The level of, of, it's like the volume. And inside this soundless chamber, there's, there are negative decibels. It means you can't hear the fall of your own footsteps or your own breathing. It dies before it hooks your ears. And the investigative reporters who have gone there to experience it, and experience it means you pay $80 to go in. But they warn you before you go in that people don't stay long. In fact, the record amount, of, the shortest amount of time was three seconds. And someone knocked on the door to come back out. And the longest time ever was 46 minutes. And what the reporters say is, who did their best to stay in, was that it was the loudest place on earth. It was so loud they couldn't bear it because there's collective sound within us. It's recorded sound. We have a recording device and a storage device within us. And the sounds that we hear around us that come in our, through our ears it gets recorded inside the cloud, which is also called the chitta. It's what we call mind stuff also. And that sound is pervasive in our lives whether we know it or know not. And all around us, there are more sounds. We, get, we tend to get used to them after a while and not notice it. But if you ever go to a pristine place where it's quieter, like out in the country, then you might notice that, wow, it's different here. The atmosphere is different. And every kind of sound environment creates a different impression in our minds. That's why movies have soundtracks. And 
there are various kinds of uh, music that producers will pick in order to con convey the mood and uh, the era that the movie is set in. In fact, early movies were called uh, soundless, but actually they weren't. The silent films, did you ever, were any of you alive for those? I didn't think so, neither was I. But <laughs> there, were, there was actually sound to them because nobody wanted to watch a film with no sound, so typically there were uh, musicians that would come along with the silent, so-called silent film, and after a while it was recorded music that would come with it. And then when they first learned how to synchronize sound with the movies, then they became talkies, at least in India, talkies. So sound goes with everything, and there, there's a quality of sound that's generated from the intention to associate oneself uh, with the material world. And also, when one hears that sound, one develops an intention to try to enjoy and be part of the material world. And then there's a completely different kind of sound. It's categorically different. Although we call it sound, it comes from a different realm. And it's spiritual sound. And that spiritual sound comes neatly packaged in what's called a mantra, a little sound package that gets passed down to us. And when you open that package up, you get a sample. Well, not just a sample, but you get a direct connection to the sound in the spiritual world. So that's the essence of the teaching of bhakti, that by deliberately partaking of that spiritual sound, on a regular basis, then one will experience a spiritual transformation in one's life. And so we have different ways of indulging in that sound. One is by a kind of meditation where we will individually repeat the mantra. And here's one of the mantras. I'll say it. Please repeat. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. It's a sound formula and contains names of the Supreme. And when one repeats that sound formula, then one will have direct access to the spiritual world, especially the, those who are uh, developing receptivity by clearing their consciousness from other kinds of distractions will be able to experience that direct connection more than others. And as one does chant, then it, the chanting itself and the sound vibration is proactive in helping us to purify our consciousness. This is in Sanskrit known as ceto darpanamarjanam, that the mirror of the mind becomes cleansed. So we're able to see our spiritual nature and we're able to see that we're actually uh, uh, connected already to the Supreme. But I've just been distracted and looking externally to try to find happiness. Of course, there's a, there's a legend of the mus musk deer. The musk deer is much sought after because of the scent that comes from its navel. 
the muskvir itself is said to be in search of the beautiful scent and doesn't know that it's coming from its own navel. Life searching up rocky mountainsides and into caves and going through lakes and rivers to try to find out the origin of that scent. However, it's already there within the deer. So in a similar way, we might forget that we're actually part of the Supreme. And what we are is more important than what we have. And when we are able to discover who we are, then we'll feel satisfaction naturally. The mantra helps to reveal that. Just by chanting the mantra, we gradually come to experience our own consciousness and then to see the source of our consciousness. And the mantra, source of consciousness is Krishna, who's love personified. So either I'm clinging to it or it's clinging to me one way or another. We're clung together. Just kidding. Uh, and it's hard to separate oneself from even habits which one may, may think that this isn't a good idea. Have you ever had an experience where you thought, this isn't a good idea, but you do it anyway? That's what I'm talking Only one person. Thank you, Shruti. That's why he sits in the front row for encouragement. I can relate. Um, well, those types of things, you get a little space from chanting. You, you'll notice that if you practice the chanting, the, the power of the mantra comes through and there's a, you'll have a sense that, wow, actually I'm a little stronger than I was yesterday or the day before or, or last year, and that I have the wherewithal to actually step away from something that I know is not good for me. And isn't that a happy day when you can do that? Yes. Why? What's happy about it? You feel free? Any other emotion when you're able to overcome? Relieved. Have it relieved. Free, relieved, elated. elated, happy. A sense of integrity, perhaps? Spiritual integrity that we feel that, wow, I'm actually good for it? That's an a, a all-encompassing type of feeling when you know that your inside matches your outside. That I know I can do this now. That's something that you get from the, the chanting. Just the preliminary chanting, that's the rays coming through the fog kind of chanting. So if, if you practice it, even though you may not see the direct sun globe, but the effects, even on a cloudy day, that's why they wrote that song. Who wrote it? I got sunshine on a cloudy day? Temptations. They knew about this. I'll sing it for you if you guys don't know. <laughs> On a cloudy day. So, the chanting is your sunshine on a cloudy day. It actually comes through. So, in, in the preliminary stage, one will start to notice that I, I have some strength. It's called yoga balena. It's the strength of yoga that you get from practicing yoga. So it's a good idea. And the other is a perspective which reveals that there's a difference between my self and my body. And this is important because 
we are not our bodies, but we're actually spiritual beings inhabiting a body. And the body is a categorically different energy than, than we are. And when I identify the body as myself, then naturally I feel uncomfortable. Does anybody feel uncomfortable sometimes in their body? Can't get, like have you ever had a bad hair day? I don't have that many, but that's why I shaved my head. I had too many in a row. I said, that's it. So uh, you can have a bad anything day, and inevitably the body is going to give some kind of trouble. However, you're not our bodies. It's easy enough to identify with the body and think, I am this body. And then, of course, there's emotional attachments. For instance, one might think, because I am my body, I am also my sports team. Has anybody ever thought that? Come on, more than one person. Who said I'm whom? One person, two. Two people. Those of you who have never seen sports before. I lived in St. Louis, Missouri for three years. It's a baseball town. There's St. Louis Cardinals. And I, it is palpable how the whole town would, the need of everyone in the town, collective need, would rise and fall according to the, even the, uh, the standing of the team. Not to speak of the, if they got in the World Series and they lost, then they would need extra counseling for weeks afterwards. Special therapy so that they didn't become too depressed because the team lost. But of course, they didn't play. They just identified with the team. So there's a way in which I identify myself as being American, and therefore American causes are more important than all other causes. Or if I'm an Indian or a Cambodian, or wherever I happen to be, my body happens to come from, I think that, that I'm attached to that place, and that my needs rise and fall according to the circumstances in that place. And so this is compared sometimes to being uh, churned in an ocean of emotions. When one is able to get the perspective that actually I'm not this physical or mental body, I'm separate from it as a spiritual being inhabiting the body, then I'm not subjected to these churnings that take place by identifying with the body. So what are the two benefits? One gets even preliminarily from chanting the spiritual mantra that comes from the spiritual world, even if you don't see it directly and you just get the concomitant preliminary benefits. What's the first one? Work with me, people. Uh-huh. Cessation of misery? Yeah. Like, what's the first one I mentioned about the benefit that you get? Pardon? Yeah, you're able to give up bad habits. And kind of, the kind of things where you think, I could never give this up, but then you could give it up, right? This is called vairagya. Everyone say vairagya. vairagya. So vairagya means an inordinate attachment to temporary things. It doesn't really make any sense because they're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Why should I be so attached to them? They're going to go away anyway. Why am I crying about it, right? Say yes. Why? That's not a good idea. So then... When I develop this spiritual strength, then I'm, I'm not overwhelmed by that. So that's the first one. And what's the second one? 
kind of perspective, I see the difference between two things. Yes? Myself and the body, right. That's important. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, who's the teacher of Arjuna, and speaks about the philosophy of self-realization and God-realization, uh, gives a definition of knowledge. Would you like to hear it? Shetragnam chapimam vidhi sarva shetri shubharata shetra shetragnayonagyanam yatachgyanam matamama. It means that one is able to see the difference between the field, that's the body, and the mower of the field, that's the soul, that's within the body, is somebody who's actually in knowledge, to be able to know the difference between the two. When I think I am my body, then that's a problem for me. What's the one problem that I mentioned? We identify, or a couple of points I mentioned about identifying with the body as being a problem. Yeah, you start identifying with, with your hometown, your team, country. What's the other thing I mentioned? You could have a bad hair day, right? And you could have a bad everything day because the body eventually, it has a shelf life. And when I think I am my body, it, it's, it's a struggle to maintain it. And I, you, you may notice that sometimes people who for instance, their body is their livelihood, and they're very much invested in presenting themselves in a particular way, feel um, quite let down when the body changes. That's possible, and you try to keep it up and make it look the way it did when one was 20 or 30, but that's a lost cause. It, it, uh, it doesn't maintain, so it's a difficulty. So, these are the first uh, preliminary benefits from chanting Hare Krishna. Does it sound like a, an okay idea? Yeah. Do you have enough air in the room? No. Is there a possibility of getting just a little cross ventilation? The IQ goes up precipitously. As soon as there's more air. Okay. So. I was, uh, my wife and I took a break for uh, seven days during December to go on a retreat. And we drive somewhere, and there's a kind of a natural area we stay near. And there's a botanical gardens we visit. And it's a pristine, beautiful area. And there's a quaint little bridge that goes over a babbling brook. And that sounded cliche. Can you edit it out? And there's a little placard on the <coughs> railing of the bridge. It says, No coins necessary to operate the stream. Why do you think it says that? No coins necessary to operate stream. Because what? People throw coins in all the time. They go, it's like... And then after a while, it becomes uh, this pristine area is uh, unsightly. 
all these poems on the stream. So they, someone with this sense of humor put that on the bridge. It's from the, uh, from those who, who maintain the park. It's, it's a brass placard. No coins necessary to operate stream. So miraculously, uh, this body and the yield itself doesn't need coins to operate. You may think that I need to invest a lot. Okay. This does, on the other side, on the other hand, need maintenance. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So there's a, a kind of miracle to life that things naturally work beyond our control. In other words, uh, this body, for instance, we're born into it and it has everything it needs to function at a certain level. We do have to do a slight bit of maintenance, but in general, most of the functions of the body go on without our assistance. And therefore, the Nectar of Instruction, or the author, Rupa Goswami, mentions that we should use as much of our time to practice our spiritual life and not in, give an inordinate amount of time just to maintain the body. No coins necessary to operate stream. We don't have to put a, a lot of extra energy and anxiety into maintaining the body. Just what it needs uh, to be balanced in life. And then we'll have some extra time to uh, do our spiritual practices. So this is one of the points that Krishna makes in the Bhagavad Gita when he, when he mentions that one shouldn't eat too much or eat too little, one shouldn't sleep too much or sleep too little, one shouldn't recreate too much or recreate too little, uh, just enough so that one can stay balanced and, and practice uh, spiritual life. So there are a few ways that one can practice uh, spiritual life. And uh, one of them is to uh, divert one's mind away from sense gratification towards thinking about how to do good for others. This is a way that uh, we can come out of the limitations of our own uh, desires, selfish desires, just to try to be happy ourselves, which is a difficult thing to do in this world. There's always some inconvenience. However, if we think about doing good for others, then that, and that becomes our preoccupation, then there's a natural sense of expansion of consciousness. And one of the tenets of 
of the practice of bhakti yoga is to organize one's life around this principle to see how one can do good for others. And as it turns out, if you study this subject, the best thing that one can do for others, ultimately, is to give people an opportunity to take up the process of spiritual realization for themselves. So the distribution of knowledge is very important for human society and those who work towards giving other people an opportunity to hear about spiritual practice then feel satisfied themselves and they do good for others by giving them knowledge through which they can start on the practice of Krishna consciousness. So there's an example of this that my spiritual master used to give, and that is that, let's just say uh, a young man who's growing up in a wealthy household and then he feels independent and he decides I'm gonna run away from home. So he leaves home and ends up in another city somewhere. And then through a series of misfortunes, he loses his memory of where he came from and becomes destitute and is uh, then reduced to uh, begging, uh, like on street corners and in intersections just to maintain himself. And then a friend of the family who knows that, this, that their son is estranged from the family happens to be visiting this faraway city and one day is driving his car and then sees somebody begging at the intersection who then approaches him at the window and he notices the young man is familiar and then says, oh, yes, I know him. Uh, he's the one who ran away from home several years ago, and everyone's been looking for him. So then he rolls his window down, and the young man says, uh, you know, I need money. Can you give something? And so the man gives him $20, and then he drives away. Are you satisfied? So the other scenario is he rolls down his window, and he says, I know who you are. You're actually uh, a, the son of, of my best friend, and I know where you, where you come from. And how long have you been here? And then this wayward youngster then starts to remember. Oh, oh yeah, I think I remember you too. And now that you mention it, I remember my family. And he says, well, why don't you get in, and you know, we'll call your family, and we'll, I'll arrange to fly you back. Is that a better scenario? Yes. So there are ways that we can think about helping others. One of the ways is, of course, you can feed people. I noticed that my father gave me a bird feeder once, and I never did much with it. It sat around, but I didn't want to get rid of it because I got it from my father. And then one day, uh, long after he had passed away, I decided I'd use it. So I put up a little hook on my back fence, and I found some Nigel seeds, because that's what finches like. And I filled it up. And I put it out there, and sure enough, the finches came, and 
seemed uh, quite happy, but not necessarily appreciative. Because when I walked back, they just flew away. They didn't have much awareness that I was filling it up back. Nor did they uh, seem to starve after it ran out and we were in Europe for a while and we came back. Same finches found other things to eat. They didn't mind the convenience of having it in one place, I suppose. And I was thinking about one of the verses from the ancient teachings that say, Nityo nityanam chetanas chetananam ekobahunam yovidadhati kahaman. That is that there's a maintainer who's maintaining us all. For instance, our digestion's being maintained, I hope. Did you eat today? Feel okay? You should be happy because the digestion's going on, the food's being distributed to various, or the nutrients are being distributed to various parts of our body. Glucose goes to the brain, so you can, it's brain food, so you can think. And we don't much think about it. We're just being maintained all the time. So there's a way in which we are being maintained by someone else. It's going on quite automatically. And we forget about that, uh, who's our maintainer. And so just giving people food just to fill up their bellies, just like the finches, they'll get hungry, they'll find food somewhere else at some point. And this is a temporary kind of help, but if you give people information about how they can help themselves and how they can reconnect spiritually to their original divine source, Krishna, then this is parallel with the second example. So this is one of the, the great missions of this uh, community and the greater community of what we call Vaishnavas, or those who are concerned not just with their own maintenance, but also with doing good for others. Does that resonate with you, about doing good for others? In fact, I once read a book uh, by Dale Carnegie. It's called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. I highly recommend it for anyone who's uh, like a temple president or, uh, or anybody who lives in this world for that matter. He had compiled various scenarios, hundreds of them actually, of people who were in deep anxiety and then found how to rise above the anxiety. And one of the prominent ways was that people thought about how to do good for somebody else. And it actually helped them to come out from the limited perspective, uh, which is epitomized by the statement, woe is me, or why me? And why, why am I being victimized like this? But when you start thinking, well, how can I do something good for somebody else? Then there's a natural expansion of consciousness and, and our feeling of well-being becomes manifest just by that. So this is uh, one of the basic tenets of being a spiritual practitioner is organizing one's life on the principle of how to do good for others. Do you like it? Yes. Just three people out of all? Yes. Okay. 
Well, what do you like about it? Have, have you experienced that? Yes. Not often enough, but yes. Yes. It helps you to, to be in your eternal position as a servant, and? Uh, yeah, to be in the eternal potency of the, of the Lord. And to be in the internal potency of the Lord? Yeah. Thank you. That, that's a, both of you, thank you for sharing that. Yours from, from anecdotal, experiential point of view, and yours from a very philosophical point of view. This is a, a principle that anyone can apply in their lives and there's a song by one of the great saints in the practice of bhakti yoga. His name is Bhakti Thakur. And he gives us a sentence that we can live by. It's so profound, I recommend that you could get a tattoo of it on your arm, if you like, on the way home. If you can find a Bengali tattoo shop, that would be best, because Bengali looks really cool. So he says, says Jeev Krishna Das A Vishwas, which means something very profound, and it's in um, resonance with what you just said. And that is that if you think of yourself as a servant of Krishna, the Supreme, then for you there's no more unhappiness. It's a switch in one's intention in life that I switch from thinking, how can I be more comfortable? And how can I avoid inconvenience? Have you ever thought like this before? How can I be more comfortable? Anybody thinking like that right now? If so, we have more seats over here. <laughs> There's more chairs. How can I be more comfortable? And how can I avoid inconvenience? I have to raise my hand on that one. I, I think about that all the time. I hate inconvenience. Do you hate inconvenience? Yes. You don't have to agree with me, but... I, I noticeably, I notice it in myself. I just don't like inconvenience. The slight change, like, what do you mean you changed my seat? You gave me, you know, 21D. Now, what do you mean 20? The seat doesn't go back. I don't like that. I mean, it can, <laughs> it can be anything, I don't like inconvenience. But uh, that could become my main preoccupation in life. And that's a, a losing proposition because there's never a time well, I'm in this world and in this body that I'm not going to experience some kind of inconvenience unless I change my consciousness. And when I change my perspective and my intention, then my experience of the world changes immediately. And how do I do that? I could consider that, um, and which you so astutely pointed out. What is your name, Prabhu? Dalen. D-A-Y-L-A-N. D-E-Y-L-A-N, Dalen. And Dalen pointed out this philosophical point that we have a, a spiritual nature. And to be in tune with spiritual nature, we have to adjust our attitude. By the way, are attitudes adjustable? Yes. yes. Okay. You, get, 
you've got the adjustable kind. That's good. <laughs> you can adjust your attitude. That really helps. It's a settled way of thinking of, of oneself and the world and the way we interact with others. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, if you adjust your attitude and think, I'm a servant of Krishna, then for you, the world looks different. It's an opportunity everywhere. You can see that uh, there's service to be done. And if you connect that to the previous thought, how to do good for others, there's a way in which everyone, every being we meet, is connected to Krishna as a part and parcel, or if you like, as a son or daughter of the Lord. And therefore, if you do good for them uh, by reconnecting them to their father, to their source, then you're, you've got a nice occupation. So this is one of the ways that one can be uh, solidly situated in spiritual consciousness. And it's an actual thing. You can really do this. In fact, uh, here in this community today, I had the, the great privilege of being part of a meeting today, watching the internal workings of, of the community here. And the, the leaders got together, many of them, and discussed how they could uh, increase efficiency in uh, spreading spiritual knowledge to as many people as possible. They actually went to the extent, I watched them, they put up maps of the whole Orange County. Was it more than Orange County? There was even the Inland Empire. <laughs> the Inland Empire. And they, they uh, mapped it all out. They took hours to do this. And they thought of all the ways that they could assign members of the community who wanted to uh, apply this principle of how to do good for others to oversee particular parts of the geography here, of the geographical area, of the various cities, and say, okay, you figure out how to do good for all the people in this area. Did you get a spot? You got one, right? Look how happy he is. Take a look. <laughs> See? Because now he has this alignment that matches the teaching of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. It says, if you just think, I'm a servant of Krishna, then you won't feel misery anymore. You won't feel inconvenience. Uh, the inconveniences that you feel, well, you'll think, of course, there's inconvenience. It's just an obstacle or an opportunity to adjust so that I could do it a little bit better. You have a purpose in life, an ultimate goal. So this is an important aspect of spiritual practice because I may sit by myself and chant, which is a good idea, but then my mind might become restless. Is that possible? Has anybody experienced that? Yes. Okay, about half of you. And therefore, there's, there's a, a need for an occupation. So one of the ways that the mind can become peaceful is to think, well, how can I get my region? Where's my spot? You were wondering that up till today, right? Then you got your spot. Now look at him again, see? Just talking about it, he's happy. So if you can get your spot, wherever that may be, you can get a, you know, a, a, a little patch somewhere and say, this is your area. You take care of all the, the living entities here and try to do good for them. And then uh, come up with a plan. You could meet with your family, for instance, and you say, let's have a, a plan how we can do good for the most people in our neighborhood. What would you do? I mean, some suburb areas, 
I don't think people even meet each other. They could live there for 20, 30 years, and they don't even know who lives next door. Is that possible? Yeah, and then people drive in little cars to their uh, workplace, and while on the road, if somebody looks at them, you know, you're driving down the road, and somebody looks at you down and says, hey, why are you looking at me? That's no way to live. There should be more reciprocity in the world. We should be sharing with other people and trying to do good for them, right? I mean, what if we... What if we came up with a campaign? What if we had a big seminar and we thought, okay, let's figure out how to do the, the most good for the most people. What, what do you think the mood of that seminar would be? We'd be in a lot of anxiety, right? It'd be really dark energy. What do you think? Creativity. Creativity. What else? What are the other adjectives? Enthusiasm. Actually, there was such a seminar. It was a long time ago, 5,000 years ago. There was a thousand year seminar. And it was in Naimasharnya in India. And you know what the topic of the seminar was? How to do good for all living entities. It's a good seminar topic. So that's one of the practices of bhakti yoga is to meet together like this and then come up with a plan. How can I do the most good for the most living entities? Anybody have any ideas? Let's just practice like we're in a seminar-like situation. You wanted to do the most good. Let's just pick a, a place, a small geographical lo location. Which area would, you think, would we think about? Just give a random one. Okay, Laguna Beach, let's say the Inland Empire. That would be my pick. So the Inland Empire, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but it really, <laughs> it really sounds good to me. If someone's gonna give me a, a you know, portfolio, I'd say give me the Inland Empire. So if, if we were just, hypothetically, we're having a seminar, we'd say, how can we do the most good for all the people who live there, all the, not just people, but all the living entities. That we can count every living being there. How would we do the most good for the people of Inland Empire? Could you explain yourself, please? That was a code. He said Harinam, so what do you mean by that? Chanting, the congregational chanting of the holy name out of the temple where birds, bees, humans, souls, Ooh. everyone can hear it. Okay, so that's based on what we talked about in the beginning the transcendental vibration that comes from the spiritual world it has a beneficial effect on the spiritual being. And you just added a nuance to that. It doesn't mean you have to be a human to get the benefit from it. What other living beings did you mention? Birds, bees, Birds, bees dogs, and cats. Plants. Okay. All of them get benefit from hearing the chanting. Let's have two more suggestions of how to do good for all the living beings in the Inland Empire. Who said prasadam? Yes? Could you explain more about that? How would you do that? A meeting place? And then 
you set up there and distribute the food. Okay. So we got chanting and we got distribution of spiritual food. Anything else that you'd like to do to help the people of the Inland Empire? Pardon me? Pardon me? Give them knowledge? Who, who said knowledge? Thank you. What is your name? Hey! Let's go Inland Empire! Let's work together for the Inland Empire. And you said distribution of knowledge. How, what, how would you deliver the knowledge? What would be a good delivery system? Okay. What would you think of as, as a, a viable delivery system for knowledge? Yes, like my friend Bopadev. Years ago, we used to go out together to distribute um, Bhagavad Gita's in various public places. And sometimes, uh, he's a very kind of uh, sarcastic person. And so sometimes he'd show the book, like Bhagavad Gita, to somebody. And they'd say, well, what is it? And he goes, it's a new invention. It's called the book. <laughs> books are a delivery system inside they have idea seeds and their books are beloved in human society people can't get rid of them even if you get a book you don't like you can't get rid of it it stays and it's like what are you going to do with that I have no idea it'll stay many generations uh, so that's a delivery system do you agree so we could do that so we have three viable ways for the Inland Empire. We could distribute spiritual food, spiritual sound vibration, and knowledge in the form of books. So that could become an enterprise, right? You say yes, everybody. Yes. It could become an enterprise. And as it turns out, that's one of the missions of the organization that we're in, is to figure out ways to move the um, devotees from one place to another strategically so that they can distribute these types of things. And that is actually one of the spiritual practices. And those who get into that flow of doing good for others, they find that they're able to rise above their own limitations, the limitations of the mind, which are uh, typically um, <clears throat> the thoughts absorbed in, why me? And why am I so inconvenienced? And how can I be more comfortable? And they're able to rise above those, uh, uh, that limited thought pattern. So this is uh, one of the practices that's offered here at the uh, ISKCON Laguna Beach, and also in Long Beach, that devotees come together. And they have this uh, <clears throat> enterprise together to go out to meet people and give them an opportunity to hear the transcendental vibration, to eat spiritual food, and to receive knowledge. So now we have no more time left. Thank you very much, everybody, for uh, coming here tonight. It's been a real pleasure spending more time with you. And my wife and I, I think I speak for her also, who are deeply touched by having your association here. We came here on Friday, and we feel really filled up. 
and we thank you for your supreme hospitality. And uh, it's a joyful place, this little jewel by the ocean, and also in Long Beach, where the vibration is going strong. So uh, we wish you Godspeed on your practice of Krishna consciousness, and just wanted to come here and say a few words of encouragement to keep the transcendental vibration going in your lives, and also try to enter into the enterprise, which is we sometimes call the family business, of thinking of how to do good for others. Thank you very much. <laughs>